1: Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dills and I'm joined by the EAFC to my FIFA. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, what a weekend of football, eh? Like the sycamore gap tree, I'm sad it's no longer with us. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Devastating, devastating news there. Um, but a good weekend of football. Some big away wins as well. It's incredible. But yeah, even, even bigger news. Yeah, the, the Sycamore gap tree has, um has now left us. I've never been, never seen it, never even knew it existed before this week. Um, and, and like this weekend, I had no idea it was coming.
1: Once again, um, I'm glad that we've gone completely off topic at the start of this episode, but you know, I'm absolutely with you there because I, I, I did know it existed. I have seen it before, but I've seen it more times in the past few days than I think I've ever seen it in my lifetime. It has uh, hmm. been something else, but I tell you what, the memes have been something else.
0: <laughs> yeah, just the, uh, the Eddie Howe context is, a, is quite a funny Quite a funny side step, obviously. It's Premier League, so we don't talk about it too much. But yeah, it has been an amusing situation uh, in what has been uh, in, in, yeah, in a, a very
1: devastating, frustrating bit of news for those up north. Yes, completely and utterly (laughs) devastating. We won't joke about it anymore. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have got a jam-packed weekend of results for us to talk about here on the second tier. So we'll go through all the games from the past weekend, talk about what it means for each of those involved, talk about some of the news from the past few days. Don't know if you may have seen this but there was a statement that was put out by uh, Sheffield Wednesday's owner over the past few days. We might have a little chat about that in the news as well as a few other bits, talk about the polls that we've put out on Twitter and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful late right at the end of the show. So we'll begin with probably the most surprising results of the weekend. Southampton 3, Leeds United 1. Three-word review from Mike for Southampton back in business. I mean, Let's be honest, it went completely against the form book, didn't it? Mm. I was watching this game, Justin, and as you know, I was back in a Leeds win, as revealed in my midweek predictions. They conceded before I even sat down. And I thought to myself, that's all right, I'll probably get back into it. And it was just Leeds domination, then Southampton scored. And then again, Leeds domination, and then Southampton scored. And then it was pretty much game over by that point. So they just seemed to go forward three times and scored with their first three shots on target. But fair play to Southampton. I never saw this result coming. And despite what I just said about Leeds dominating for large parts, I was impressed. And... The question is, Justin, are you still on your high horse about Southampton after this? <laughs> I got on my high horse and rode off weeks ago, so no worries about that. Um,
0: I think that, <laughs> the, the key takeout is that Southampton made these like Southampton of a few weeks ago. I think that's the key the key thing here. And as I say the high horse thing, I think that's done and dusted now because this game should mark a turning point for Southampton because this was the best, most convincing performance I've watched of them this season. They were clinical, they had purpose in possession, and they had that cutting edge going forwards that I've been desperate for, for the entire campaign to date. It wasn't tippy-tappy, it was aggressive, it was ruthless, and it was genuinely was a nice change to watch in this team. It was more direct and in and, and how they transitioned the balls. And there's a reason why Leeds looked so blunt and poor, especially in that first half. It's because Southampton didn't allow them to hit them on the break. They closed up those midfield positions, they shut up shop in some aspects, reduced the space and looked really confident and exceptional in and out of possession. And better yet, they were more pragmatic in possession. They weren't taking unnecessary risks. They were going long when they needed to. They were utilising Kevin Pazuna's really good distribution. This was a really good performance. And I'll sit here and I'll, I'll say it. They, 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 they clicked, it worked. Uh, and if they carry on with this same output, they're going to do well this season. It's simple as that.
1: Yeah. And we said it would take a while for... Russell Martin to get to grips with this Southampton side. I wouldn't declare that he's done it after one good result, but there was a lot of evidence that he's close to working it out. Despite Leeds dominating for large chunks of this game, they were so much sturdier at the back. I can't recall Leeds having too many chances, Mm -hmm. and it just meant that every time Leeds went forward, they were just running into this door, which was the Southampton back line. And then going forwards, they were more direct, but it worked because they had the quality to make it count. And players in the final third were more willing to be a bit more expressive and take risks and make things happen. Carlos Alcaraz coming back into the team was a big help with that because Mm. he's an unbelievable player. Adam Armstrong was excellent. He mainly played on the right wing when he was scoring goals for fun at Blackburn. So I imagine he'll stay there instead of more centrally, which is where he's played so far. Southampton have an excellent team with an an abundance of talent. I think they recruited very well over the summer. It's just needed knitting together. And I always thought that, and still think, Russell Martin will do that in time. Hopefully, this is the start of that happening. And if if this is anything to go by, then Southampton will be the team that many people expected at the start of the season. Yeah,
0: it's quite right. I think this is the the game that, like I said, it should mark the turning point for Southampton because that, that is a benchmark performance that a lot of teams will have. Leeds have had one, Leicester have had one. I think this is Southampton's because not only have they looked very confident um, in in and out of possession, it's the most assured they've looked. I know they conceded a really, really sloppy goal. That's the main thing that disappointed me about this game is how sloppy that goal was. Um, But for 99% of that game, they were near faultless. They were good. And they made a really good informed Leeds team with an incredibly talented t- attack, probably one of the most or the most talented attack in the division, look really blunt and uh, have an, uh, without any idea of how to, uh, to break stuff up to down. So, yeah, there's so many positives and as I say, there's so many individuals there to, to speak of who had really good games, which we've not been able to do for a, a large number of weeks
1: now. Yeah, it's been a long time coming ante, and this performance looked completely <laughs> different to the Southampton that we have seen over past uh well, ever since the international break really hasn't it uh billy's three word review for leeds back down to earth um the term was you know apostrophe t apostrophe earth so still three words um from a leeds perspective i can't pick out too many things that i particularly think went wrong despite being three nil down at half time i don't think they played particularly badly do you think this was just a blip for them or something more serious?
0: No, definitely a blip. I would have expected, and many others would have expected, Leeds to walk over Southampton going into this game. So I think the fast start maybe took them by surprise, but also the goals were examples of some really poor defending. First one, uh, first Adam Armstrong go, What? what's Liam Cooper doing? He's, he's halfway down to um, the, the ferry port in Southampton. You know, he's going further south he doesn't need to he's so far ahead of his back his back line it's ridiculous um, and then the Adam Armstrong the, se- the second Adam Armstrong goal he sits down Sam Byram in a one-on-one and Meslier arguably could have done better with both both those goals so I think it was just a case of they made some poor errors individually and that set the, set the tone of the game and after that it's a it's a big old mountain to climb and Southampton were resilient and Leeds had no no answer so I expect Leeds to, to pick up I think this just is yeah as you say it's just a blip they won't um, they won't repeat that sort of performance I'm confident that.
1: Yeah I think it was just a blip I will admit I'm not sure what Jamie Shackleton at right back was all about when Luke Ayling's on the bench I get that he's a homegrown lad and he's very versatile but I don't think Jamie Shackleton should be starting games for Leeds, even if he has done so a few times already this season. I'm not sure Liam Cooper should be first choice anymore. Leeds have better options than him in my book at this stage. I can't say I was too impressed by Glenn Kamara either. So they're just a few I would pick out, but Look, Southampton have a much more talented squad than their results suggest. So it's by no means the end of the world for Leeds losing to the Southampton team, even though they have been in really, really poor form. It's just about getting those Millwall and Watford performances and making them a more regular thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because if that happens, then this will just be a blip and Leeds will go on their merry way to challenging right at the top of the championship this season. I imagine Sheffield Wednesday fans have had better Fridays than the last one. After their owner put out a lengthy statement, they also lost 3-0 to Sunderland. Wednesday now have the joint worst start after nine games in championship history. If they fail to win against West Brom on Tuesday, it'll be Wednesday's worst start in club history. Really was... A pitiful performance from them, wasn't it? We'll avoid talking about Wednesday here, Justin, because we're going to be talking about them at length in the news. But Mm. it was a really, really poor showing from them. Sunderland are flying, though, up to fourth in the table. Four wins from five. SCH with a three-word review that sums it up incredibly well. Jack Raymond Clark. (laughs) And we have got to praise that man again, Justin Jack Clark. Two goals here for him. He actually scored more goals in this game than he had touches in the box, which I thought was quite an interesting one. But he really has come on leaps and bounds this calendar year, Hanson. Yeah.
0: Yeah, without doubt, without doubt. And I think that's Tony Mowbray. Tony Mowbray knows how to get the best out of players. We've seen it with Ben Burriton diaz we've seen it with Adam Armstrong. He makes big assets, but that's you know, putting the credit in, in Tony Mowbray's court, which I don't think is. Hugely fair because Jack Clark is—he's always had ability. He's just needed someone to get it out of him. But he's—he's—he's he's, he's a fantastic individual. He just glides around effortlessly, doesn't he? He's like a group of swans coming into land on a river. So elegant, so beautiful. I don't know whether it's—I don't know what you call a group of swans. Is it—is it a—a gang? Because that's what they—they are intimidating. No,
1: a gaggle. Is it a, a gaggle? No. I don't know. I don't know. But well, I, I get your point.
0: Yeah, that's besides the point. But he, he's clinical as well. He scored his both shots and target in this game. And he reminds me of how wingers used to play. And I hate that level of conversation because it's, you know, it's a bit of uh, the good old days, which is, which is bollocks. But his ability to come inside, find space, score from outside the box, a bit like Bike Saka, it's a touch of the old school winger. You're Robert Piris's, you're Ian Robbins. It's really exciting to watch and, uh, you know, more of the same. And he's, he's going to keep on getting better and... Um, yeah, that ten million pounds, or up to ten million pounds, that Sunderland paid for him last summer, is a snip. Let's be
1: honest. Ten million pounds.
0: It was up to ten million pounds last, last summer. That's the that's
1: the agreement with Spurs. Was it? Oh, yeah, dear, yeah, I didn't realise it was that much. I was more taken aback by you counting Iron Robin as an old school winger. Yeah, I didn't generation. realize you we've moved forward that much in time. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> I'm thinking of old school wingers, I'm thinking of Stanley Matthews. <laughs> and, wow. Wow. <laughs> Um, but that that's beyond the point Justin. With Jack Clark he's just a wonderful player. I remember when he was at Tottenham and he was being loaned out to various clubs like QPR and Stoke he didn't look anything special at all did he? And no. it seemed like his early potential at Leeds may have been something of a false dawn but since going to Sunderland he's been getting better and better at an incredible rate. That's shown no signs of stopping. Last season alone, he was fantastic. But this season, he's been a completely different beast. If we had to award player of the season after nine games, for me, it's 100% going to Jack Clark. He's the best winger in the division for me. And the frightening thing is he's still only 22. (laughs) Easy to forget Mm -hmm. because I think I've said it before. It feels like he's been around for a lot longer than he has been. But 22 years old, and if he continues to get better at rate he is, then God, he is going to be an unbelievable player. Overall, Sunderland are looking like a well-rounded side now, aren't they? If young Mason Burstow can get going up front, then who knows how well they could do this season. Meanwhile, South Yorkshire police have arrested two men on suspicion of outraging public decency at this game. It's after a Sheffield Wednesday supporter mocked the death of six-year-old Sunderland fan Bradley Lowry by showing a picture of him to the Sunderland fans on their phone during this game. I mean, how low can you possibly go? Coventry got back to winning weights by winning 3 1 away at QPR. Three word review from Aaron Sims has arrived. And this was more like it from Coventry Want It. They had failed to win in their previous six prior to this, although they had undoubtedly been unlucky in a few of those games. It helps so that they're putting away chances and Ellis Sims got to here. Could it be the first of many for Simsy Boy? I don't see why not. It, him being on the
0: score sheet is an important factor, and whether he costs three and a half million, six million, or eight million, whatever, it's a large chunk of money to spend, and it's a large burden for any forward, especially young, coming from the Premier League into Championship. Um, to to yeah, it's it's a burden. It's yeah, it's a lot to shoulder. Um And then you've got. Your big shoes to fill in Victor Giochrez. There's a lot of pressure there for Ellis Sims and Hadji Wright for that matter. Um, but him getting on the school sheet and he's taken his goals really well. First one was a poacher's goal. Second one was well taken on his weaker foot. Yeah, they they are small examples of what Ellis Sims is capable of. And there's a lot more to his game than just scoring goals, his ability to play with back to goal, etc. Link-up play is fantastic. There's so much more to come from him. And I'm, I'm hoping that this is the the kickstart that he needs confidence-wise to get going. Because I know a lot of Coventry fans have really started to question his ability. So hopefully, as I say, we'll say it again,
1: yeah, this is the turning point. Yeah, yeah, well, you'd definitely hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, there's a reason Coventry spent a lot of money on him and other championship sides were interested in doing so. As well, this summer, as you say, he just offers so much to a team in various different aspects, not just goals. And we saw at Sunderland last season how good he can be at this level. And that's why... We were so excited when he signed. And look, it's a big ask replacing Victor Jokeres' goals, but he can definitely go some way to doing it. I was a bit surprised to see that in XG terms, he doesn't actually rank that highly, which would imply he's not really been getting the chances. Well, you could look at it two ways, really. He's not either getting the service or he's not in the right places. Mm -hmm. But now he's shown what he can do, when those chances fall to him. And he needs to be firing as well, do not he? Because Hadji Wright certainly struggled a bit so far. So as long as one of them is firing the goals away this season, then that's all that will matter. A shout out as well for Ben Wilson, who pulled off an incredible save in the Coventry goal. That was absolutely unbelievable. Three-word review from Youssef for QPR. Ainsworth out. Only needed two words. And from a QPR perspective, it is worth mentioning they had a stonewall penalty oh God. turned down. Absolutely no idea how that wasn't given for a foul on Sinclair Armstrong. Gareth Ainsworth also said the first Coventry goal was offside, which I've looked at it a couple of times. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with, but can definitely count himself unfortunate with that, uh, that penalty. But QPR have now fallen into the bottom three, just two wins from nine. And you've been somewhat of a... Gareth Ainsworth apologist this season Justin how are you feeling about him now it's it's so hard to
0: I feel like he's blowing far too hot and cold at the moment and maybe I am as well maybe I'm getting swooned by his by his charisma like, like the rest of like the rest of every well the rest of the, the UK and, but not you obviously um, look results, results have been poor but I will say this I didn't think the players would buy into him I think they have shown at times that they are first half against Coventry was, was okay. Second half was really poor. And there were some questionable decisions going against QPR, but that's besides the point. The numbers are working against Gareth Ainsworth here in his tenure so far at Loftus Road. Won just five of his 23, conceding almost two goals per game, scoring less than one per game on average. There needs to be a drastic improvement in results. It's hard to be convinced by him. It's hard to be convinced by his football because it's shown that it's not effective you know, whatever perception QPR fans have of it, whether it's a positive outlook on on his style of play or a negative, it's not working. It's as simple as that. And yeah, QPR they're they're they are they are they are a weak, in, weak side in terms of depth and Gary Fainsworth hasn't been able to get it to click just yet. So yeah, can't apologise for him on this occasion because it was um, yeah,
1: not the not the greatest performance uh, and, and again form wise not been great either. Yeah, I think in fairness Ainsworth has learned lessons from last season. Last season, he looked so out of his depth. This season, not so much. But they have still got a lot of problems. Their home form in particular is shocking. Mm-hmm. Justin, I don't know if you've seen this stat. They've only won one of their last 20 games yeah. at Loftus Road. Ainsworth has been in charge for 12 of them. So he's not completely to blame, but still a large chunk of those games. I think his direct style is much more suited to away games than home games which, you know, fair enough if that's the case. But if you're not picking up some wins at home, then it's going to be difficult staying up. And at the end of the day, this squad should be doing better than it is, in my view. We've said a lot about how weak the squads are at Huddersfield, Rotherham and Wednesday. And while I do think QPR squad is patchy, it's definitely better than those three. Yet, here they are in the bottom three, once again in danger, serious danger, of going down. And if the squad should be doing better, then it's the manager who's at fault, isn't it? Well, that's it, isn't it? We we spoke last week, didn't we, about how
0: um, a good manager can get more out of a poor squad. You know, I think we'll, the context of that conversation was Darren Moore going in at Huddersfield. Um, and in terms of the squads, I would argue that out of those four sides, the the teams with some of the lowest budgets in the division, um, other than the likes of Plymouth and, and Coventry, obviously, or Coventry of old, um, they, they should be doing better. They've got the better individual quality. They've got the likes of Elias Chair, Jimmy Dunn, Chris Willock. There's a lot of ability in this QPR side, and you are right. Ainsworth isn't finding a way to get it to click um, consistently. There are flashes, but it's not consistently enough to generate results that are going to pull you away from the, the bottom three. And unfortunately, QPR are going to find themselves in a the fight this season if if he struggles, because I've not seen the best of Elias Chair, I've not seen the best of Chris Willock. Um, Sinclair Armstrong's been been decent, but <laughs> other than that, there's not really much to, to really shout about it off this road, unfortunately.
1: No, there definitely isn't. And I think, unfortunately, and of course, we're not calling for the Ainsworth sacking by any means, but you do get a sense that another manager would get more out of this team, because it's not entirely different to the one that was doing quite well under Mick Beal this time last year, is it? So Mm. with that being said... Something's got to change. Otherwise, QPR, it's going to be a long, hard season for them, isn't it? Cardiff made it four league wins on the bounce by beating Rotherham 2-0. You may recall, listener, that there was a big hoo-ha last season about cardiff Rotherham getting abandoned mid-game because of torrential rain while Cardiff were ahead. Which is why it was great to hear the Cardiff PA system playing singing in the rain before this one. It's just great banter. It really is. The common bluebird gave this three-word review. Errol is something special. Oliver says playoff bluebirds and Welsh Mafia says starting to believe. And it's been a remarkable run by Cardiff. Hasn't it? They're now in the top six with these four straight wins, which is something I'd ever expected. Justin, I will be honest. Let's state the obvious. I, I feel like I should let you take the floor in this one,
0: mainly because I've I've recognised the quality in form and and, and praise Cardiff over the last few weeks. Uh, I have been a little bit sceptical at times. Maybe they don't create as much as I think they should. But yeah, I think Cardiff fans should hear from you rather than me on on, on praise. Unless you don't have it, then by right, please be quiet.
1: I don't recall you ever really being (laughs) too full of praise for Cardiff, (laughs) Justin, but um, I may be completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe it's
0: you being so negative that my neutrality on it, on the situation, maybe comes across as more positive than it maybe is. Mm, I'm not sure about that.
1: (laughs) What I'll say is, Errol Bullard deserves so much credit for this start. I don't think anyone knew too much about him when he came in, but he has done brilliantly. They've been resolute. He's happy to mix up the way they've been playing and they've had a couple of results which have gone their way despite their back being against the wall for large parts of the game but in the results which haven't gone their way they've been competitive and given a good account of themselves so he has done a marvellous job so far I will 100% admit that I struggle to see Cardiff maintaining it mainly because I don't think the squad is that strong I'm still very much sticking to my guns on a bottom half finish we're not even a quarter way into the season. So a lot can change and Cardiff can, by all means, prove me wrong on the flip side of that. But ultimately, I was worried about them being in danger of going down at the start of the season. And that is is miles off now. I just don't see that being the case now because Bullock clearly has his head screwed on.
0: Yeah, I will agree with you in parts. I think their attack for me... Um, there's a lot of really good individuals in their attack or individuals that have had really good seasons in the championship that maybe mask over where they're at now, the likes of Carl and Grant, um, Yaku Meite, for example. Don't get me wrong, they're, they're good players. I just don't know whether they, they, they're consistently enough to push Cardiff into that top eight, top uh, top six stratosphere that they might go. I think defensively, they're, they're good enough, they're resolute enough. They, they surprise me, they don't concede as many chances as, as um as previous Cardiff teams have uh, have, um, and as you pointed out, a bullet has the ability to mix them up as well, which is a, a real positive in the division. I think it's just a, the attack that needs refining a little bit because I think there's more to get out of it, and I think that there's a lot more quality to tap into. But again, new manager, new squad, going to take time. So yeah, I'm quite optimistic about Cardiff. Don't know whether a top six push is is realistic, but defensively if they maintain it and they do tap into the attacking potential of that team I don't think you can not rule it out but
1: there'll be a question mark at some point in the season didn't you say this time last week that your expectations for Cardiff have not changed at all and now you've suddenly gone that top six as a possibility
0: I've not said top six is a possibility. I just said that there's, there'll be a question mark at some point in the season about Cardiff being in a
1: uh, in the playoff conversation. It seems like you've changed your tone quite quickly all of a sudden. Out of interest, just Because in. I'm still very much of the opinion that I I think they'll finish bottom half this season. I think they've done fantastically well in this run and they 100% deserve credit for that. But I just can't see it lasting at all. Um so, with that being said, where are you looking for them?
0: I, I would look at the mid-table as a mid-table side. It it really does depend on whether or not they can get more out of their attack. I think defensively they're going to be good enough to be a top-half team. It's just whether or not the attacking-wise they can be a, a top-half team. I think that's the thing that's going to let them down at some at various points in the season. They've shown glimpses of. I mean, you look at this Rotherham team, uh, Rotherham game. Sorry, we didn't have to create an awful lot. Rotherham were poor, but. Cardiff didn't create an awful lot, um, so yeah, I think there's more potential there. But I think that's going kind of to think that's going kind to of, they're going to let them down at some point or in mean, various games this season. So I'd say mid-table would be a realistic push for Cardiff this season.
1: Mm, okay, that, that's fair enough, I suppose. Um, I, I do agree with you. I think the attack is going to be something that does hold them back quite, quite a lot this season. Uh, the only thing that worries me is Cardiff being very Cardiff and. <laughs> pressing the self-destruct button, because it does happen, unfortunately, as Cardiff fans have seen uh, quite a few times over the past two or three seasons. So it wouldn't surprise me if that happens again. But admittedly, the first 10 games, or nine games rather, uh, have been really, really good. Rather than remain second from bottom, stuck on five points. Justin, we've started to shine a light on it recently, but I feel like if it wasn't for Wednesday being abysmal, we'd be talking a lot more. Hmm about Rotherham. It amazes me that Rotherham fans are coming at us with the old, you've got an agenda against us line. Have they not seen how they've been playing? It's just so poor, isn't it? Could that mean that Matt Taylor's job is in danger? Because it doesn't look like it's getting any better anytime soon.
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think objectively, yes. They look poor in games and offered absolutely nothing, once again, for the third, fourth game running. Um and like you pointed out, Miller's fans are telling me that they've had good spells in games. But sadly, as many will point out, the only thing that matters are results. And Rotherham have won one of the last five, which has seen him sink to the bottom uh, the bottom three. But for me, Taylor is the right man. Subjectively, I do like him. I do think he's got the the right methodology. But it's a results-based game. And if he continues to get poor results, he's going to be under pressure. He's going to be under pressure from himself. Um and I don't think the squad is is good enough. Uh, there'll be a lot of people in South Yorkshire disagreeing with that statement, but it's quite simple. The squad the squad isn't good enough to compete. So it's how it's how competitive Rotherham are. But at the moment, they haven't been competitive in games. They've been really really poor. They've barely offered anything going forwards, other than from set pieces. Again, there'll be some fans disagreeing with that, but that has been the only source of chances, which has been which just shines a light on how blunt they've been in open play as well.
1: Well, you say Rotherham fans will say that you're wrong, Justin, but you're not. You're absolutely not wrong. And if anyone says that you're wrong, they're wrong. (laughs) Um, Because Rotherham have been awful so far. There's no two ways about it. And I'm kind of in two minds over what the main cause of the blame here is. Because Matt Taylor's tactics are not particularly inspiring. The plan is essentially get the ball into the box, see what happens. That's it. They're creating very little in each game and are being dominated at the same time, though, this squad is really poor, and it's a tight one between them and Rotherham for the wo- uh, them and Huddersfield. Sorry, for the worst squad in the division. So he hasn't got a lot to work with. I think he's a good young manager. Did a good job last season, and I do think he will go on to be a good Championship manager. But they're not going to stay up unless something changes. That means he has to either figure out something to make them play a lot better, or someone else gets a go at the job. Simple as that, really, isn't it? We've now covered the three teams currently in the bottom three, Justin. It's the three teams we actually predicted to go down at the start of the season. So for you, as things stand, are you thinking it's that current bottom three to go down? What do you think?
0: I just look at QPR and I think, your squad, you've you've got enough to stay up once injuries subside. They've got really good individuals, Jake Clark-Salter, Jimmy Dunn, there's Steve Cook, there's Jack Colbeck, some good experienced players, Begovic, and you've got the quality, star, star quality in Elias Chair and Chris Willock. So you look at that and you go, you should be punching a lot higher than you are. Um, but I just, I don't have enough faith in Gareth Ainsworth to, to get that team to click in a way that it needs to click, if that makes sense. I don't think the style of play is good enough to to get the best out of certain individuals. Um, Rotherham and Wednesday is an easy one, but it's just whether or not, Aims finds a way to make QPR click, and other teams drop in. Um But you're looking at, but I look at other teams: Middlesbrough are down there, Swansea are down there, Watford are down there. They're going to stay in and around the bottom three for much longer. I don't think they are. So again, it does make it harder to make a case for for QPR getting out of that bottom three.
1: Yeah, that's it isn't it. For me, it's going to be three of Wednesday, Rotherham, QPR, and Huddersfield. Seems ridiculous to narrow it down. The relegation battle to just four teams so early in the season but I simply cannot see anyone else going down unless someone has a cataclysmic collapse which is a possibility by the way see QPR last season I just can't see anyone else getting dragged into it obviously very difficult to see Wednesday staying up with their circumstances on and off the pitch Rotherham have been playing so badly that they'll have to be a huge upturn for them to have any chance of staying up as things stand I'm struggling to decipher between Huddersfield and QPR, but I'd probably just give Huddersfield the nod because I think they've got the better manager. But Mm. that could change in a few months' time if Ainsworth gets the sack or what have you. So I imagine there will be the odd team having a flirt during the season, but I ultimately think there's bound to be at least three worse teams than any of the other sides in the division. Mm -hmm. And again... Seems ridiculous now in the relegation battle to just four teams after nine games, Justin. But I just seriously cannot see anyone else going down.
0: Yeah, really want to really want to point out as well that Huddersfield out of those four teams are probably the most likely side to make vast improvements in January because of resource, because of um, well, just just resource really. They they seem to be the um, yeah team most likely to add to their squad in January um, or, or recruit better in January, I should say. So yeah, it's it's hard to make a case for the other three, but like you said. Cataclysmic drop offs, it can happen.
1: It absolutely can. Justin, let's take a quick break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Back to the second tier podcast. Middlesbrough have now won back-to-back games. After their slow start, they picked up a 3-2 win away at Watford. Sedgefield's three-word review, Belief and Momentum. They're finally getting some luck, aren't they, after a rough opening seven games. Have they now turned the corner, Justin? Or are they turning a corner? Or are they even just indicating to turn a corner?
0: I, yeah, it's a really good analogy. I think they're just indicating. They've you know, Carrick's checked the mirrors. He's going to make sure he's not going to knock off a cyclist, and he's just started to indicate um, mm. Jeremy Vine, a cyclist, being there. Yeah, we all know what can happen if if, they, if that happens. But <laughs> I do still think they concede a large number of chances. So whilst results are turning, performance for me still need to pick up. And this game is a, is a good microcosm of um, of the issues that they do face and some of the quality that they've got as well. But it does help when you've got players in form. Josh Coburn is one who really impressed me in this game. Sure. Uh, he scored his own shot on goal, but his last few starts have given me the reassurance that he's the ideal man leading the line. And Riley McGree as well, in great form. I think he's got seven goals, seven goal contributions this season already, got nine last season. So there's a lot of quality there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as as excellent as these two wins are, Borough have been very open at the back, haven't they? The results against Southampton and Watford could have been very different on another day, but... They weren't. And Borough are starting to look a bit more like the side from last season. Started to play with a confidence and chance of actually finding the back of the net. As we've been saying, they haven't been playing badly. They've just not been scoring. And Josh Coburn coming into the team has been fantastic. He's like a new signing, I suppose, in Getting his first goal. Could see him scoring quite a few. Riley McGreen has shown he can score all types of goals. If they tighten up at the back, they'll fly up the table. But even then, they could do that just by outscoring teams like they did last season. So either way, I fully expect Borough to be getting on their merry way up the table. It's worth mentioning, Lewis O'Brien went off injured. Michael Carrick's admitted he's faring the worst on that mm. one, so not ideal there. Ben's three-word review for Watford. Relegation battle incoming. Maybe a bit dramatic, Ben, but it's certainly not been ideal has it for Watford so far since there were reports of Vale and Ishmael getting a new contract Watford have won one point from three games their 20th with just two wins on the board it would be so Watford to go from nearly giving a manager a new contract to sacking him in the space of two weeks wouldn't it
0: <laughs> yes it, it would I mean Watford are like that partner anyway they can change at the flip of a switch. You're one bad way of phrasing something from getting dumped. And that's just that's just how Watford are. So if you're asking me if this says a lot about your relationships,
1: Justin, in the past.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, choose them, choose them well. Um I, I honestly I do think Watford will come under will come good under under Valerie Ishmael. I think the frustrating thing is we'll never know how they would have fared under Rob Edwards because he was sacked too early. And statistically this season Watford have been Watford have been good. Yes, Ishmael made some mistakes in the game yesterday against Middlesbrough, but he's going to take risks and it didn't pay off on this occasion. But you look at the chances he did create. Bayo had some really, really big chances. A, um, he spooned a shot over the bar, which he should have put away. He had a really good header at another point. They, they had some really good moments. And I just think this squad is evolving. He's trying to find a way that he can implement what he wants, that is right for the players that is at his disposal. It's going to take time. And I think his sacking him is just going to put them back into this vicious circle that is impossible or near impossible to get out of so yeah performances are garbage get rid but they aren't they're okay they're going somewhere just don't be rash that's all I'm going to say
1: I completely agree Justin I don't think they've really been playing badly at all most of their games have actually been pretty close obviously excluding the Leeds game but Leeds were on another level that day look I, I don't think the squad is completely suited to him And he's working with what he's got, although it obviously should be doing better considering the talent that's in it. The thing is, while I wasn't a massive fan of the Ishmael appointment, I think they should stick with him. I don't think hiring and firing managers is the way forward anymore for Watford. I would much prefer them sticking with Ishmael than going through another three managers this season. But ultimately, if they lose their two games this coming week, he probably will be sacked because it's Watford and that's just how they roll. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's what I mean they You're one bad phrase
0: away from getting dumped, or one bad way of phrasing something from getting dumped with Watford. It's as simple as that. They are it's a volatile ownership and that's the reputation that they've gained. And if you're not if you're not in top form all the time, then yes, you are gonna be in trouble. It's a really, really bad bad situation to have developed for yourselves. They are an implosion sort of club and unfortunately they've not recovered from the last few.
1: Leicester remain top of the championship after beating Blackburn 4-1 on Sunday afternoon. Leicester have now matched the championship record for the best start after nine games. Only Sheffield United in 2005-06 had previously picked up 24 points or more. The scary thing is, they're not even at top gear, Justin. They've got gears to go, haven't they? And that's just so plainly obvious because... Despite winning eight out of nine games, I don't think we've particularly had a, a performance yet where I've gone, "Wow, we they look unbelievable. And that's a scary thought. I don't mean that as a criticism at all. I mean, I just expect this Leicester team to get even better because it still feels so early on in the Enzo Maresca era. But the talent they've got is some of the best we've ever seen at this level. I mean... Hmm. Jamie Vardy may be knocking on a bit, but that goal for him was just, it's something that they should show to strikers. The movement off the ball and then being able to finish like that so quickly it was just astonishing. And then Kiernan Dewsbury Hall was fantastic indeedy. Uh, I mean, Val Fais at the back, he cost a fair bit of money when Leicester brought him. So you'd expect him to be an unbelievable player, but I think he showed it here that he is just... He's way too good for this level. And so many other players are way too good at this level, Justin. And unfortunately, I say unfortunately because it's not very entertaining for us. I can see Leicester going, well, at the top of the championship now, clear of Ipswich, who were joint on points with them before. I can see Leicester going off at a bit of a canter now.
0: Well, when you've got the quality that they've got, you, you can afford to have, just be okay in a game and then have an incredible five minutes and you're going to punish your team because you've got that quality to do it and that's all Leicester seem to be doing in the games and again it's not a criticism Yeah, know Maresca's put a system in place that gets the best out of the individuals because they have their moments they take them Um, and you can't really say that uh, for for many of the teams in their division many because they don't have that quality but Southampton have struggled to do it Leeds have struggled to do it Leicester have done it simple and I think the key thing here is you you quite rightly point out they're in first or second gear they're putting another car in energy but they're putting their foot down on the clutch and they're putting it to first and they're just rolling at the moment. They're not really accelerating. And I think that's the the frightening thing is they can dismantle a decent Blackburn team who are very, they are a decent side. I know results have gone against them, but they are they do play well. Dismantled them with looked like relative ease at times. And I think that's the, the quality that, that
1: just this, this team has got. It's incredible. Yeah, it's kind of like you've got all these different cars lined up at a starting line and you've got leads who are, you know, a Lamborghini or something like <laughs> that. And then, getting the it, yeah. you know, I'm getting back on the car and <laughs> have some analogies and then Ipswich or some other fancy car and you've got Leicester who are just ultimately an F1 car, aren't they? And as long as they're driven very well by Enzo Marasca who's in that seat they're going to absolutely tank the league and I think we also should give Marasca a lot of credit because he has done so well mm-hmm. in making Everything come together and eight wins from nine is just a phenomenal start for them. But it's looking very good for Leicester so far, isn't it? Swansea have got back-to-back wins after previously being winless this season. They won 3-0 away at Millwall. A cracking result for Michael Duff massively relieves the pressure on him. But a three-word review here from Al, who says, Same old shit. C.O. says, Gary Rowett out. And I wanted to discuss Millwall, Justin, because we haven't really spoken about them yet but just three wins to their name they're the second lowest scorers in the league only Sheffield Wednesday have scored fewer goals mm. than them it's not been a great start has it? Yeah not, not the best for me after I've become such a big row Advocate as well
0: it's you know being spat in the face on that one it's it's hugely disappointing and worrying as well because they look fragile I know you've mentioned the goals but defensively in key moments they just look slow and lethargic it doesn't. They don't have the energy expected them to have in games. I thought recruitment-wise, they did pretty decent in the summer, um, with exception to to bringing in a, a striker. But they look vulnerable, and that's a that's been a constant positive you can rely on saying about Millwall under Guy Rowett. And if Guy Rowett's teams aren't defensively responsible, shall we say, where where do they go? Because they've never been great going forwards. So if they're conceding goals. You, what 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 can you get out of it from a guy outside not much so it does put him under pressure and I've seen a lot of Millwall fans turn over the last sort of three four months especially the the way last season ended and then going into this season that form's not improved that usually gets managers to sack um, and it'll be a, it'll be a massive shame because Gary Rout has taken his team a great distance but the question is now has he taken them as far as he can do they need to find somebody else to tap into this decent team it's a good team Millwall um and I just don't think Guy Rowett is putting the um putting the things in place that uh, that will yeah that will make his team click.
1: Yeah. I think yeah, absolutely spot on, Justin. We've kind of gotten used to Millwall not being the most free scoring side in the world, but always defensively sound. So far they've been even less free scoring than usual and worryingly open at the back. Only one of their last seven games have they conceded an XG of less than one. Mm-hmm. And that was against Rotherham at home, which is turning out to be quite an easy task. So it's a slow start and they've been poorer than their results suggest, in my view. I don't think they've been helped by things like Ryan Leonard having to fill in at the back and going forward, Zian Fleming's not shown the same form from last season. However, I think it is a fair question to ask. Has Gary Varrett taken this team as far as he can? Been in charge for four years now and each season they've challenged for the playoffs, not got there. And you look at it, they're probably in exactly the same kind of position that they were when he took over, I think, aren't they? Basically, they've not taken that next step is the long short of it. And you'd have thought <laughs> another manager might be able to do that. That's that's all I'll say on that. Preston lost for the first time this season. They were beaten 4-0 at home by West Brom. I mean, that's some way to lose your unbeaten run, isn't it? If we're being frank, Preston were awful. I have no idea where this performance came from. Their results have been better than their performances this season, but even this was uncharacteristically shocking. Let's chuck some praise on West Brom though, Justin, who were great. We've spoken a lot about turning points in this episode. Could this be one for them?
0: Maybe, maybe. I certainly think Corbrand's got the potential to tap into it. But I think the the things that clicked in this game was it was the perfect away performance. Let's arch it with that. It was a perfect away performance because they nullified Preston. Preston didn't create a lot. I think they had two chances, one from Bad parts. can't remember who else had the other one. Um, but they created two chances and that was really it. Uh, and West Brom were clinical. And that's not something we've been able to say for West Brom since Bilic was in charge in the 2019-20 season, when they when they looked convincing going forwards. They've not looked convincing going forwards since because they miss a boatload of chances almost every week. But this game, they were clinical. It's good. to I mean, even even Dinel Furlong's getting in, getting in on the goals, and his his goals fantastic. By the way, Daisy Cutter is a definition. But as far as turning points go, I don't think it is a turning point because West Brom have been cruising in a positive way. They've been chipping away at results and it's just results like this that just because it's so convincing and and so significant being a 4-0 away win, you know, it turns your attention to it. But I think West Brom have been good this season. Not massive, not brilliant by any means, but they've been good and they've they've played way beyond my expectations because I expected them to struggle, especially in the uh, the initial stages. But they're sitting in eighth and scoring a lot more goals than, again, I expected them to.
1: Yeah. The thing is, this West Brom team is full of players who are extremely talented. Jed Wallace, John Swift, Alex Marrott, Gray Dean Garner. All of those guys in the time that we've been doing this podcast have been some of the best players in the division at a point, haven't Mm -hmm. they? And it's not like they're over the hill. All those guys who I just mentioned are mid to late 20s. The only issue is it seems to have fallen flat for some reason in recent times. But if they just start playing their best football again all at once... West Brom could be a team to fear, especially when you throw in the likes of Matt Phillips and Cal Bartley, Okaio Kuzlu, etc. So if Carlos Corbran gets them believing in the project, they could have quite an exciting season they will need to play better than they did prior to the Preston game, but it's entirely plausible for them to do something impressive this season. Darren Moore has now got as many points in the Championship this season as Sheffield Wednesday, after he drew his second game in charge against Ipswich. one all at finished. That stat is absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> Justin, you want to throw some praise at Huddersfield striker Delano Bergzorg?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think his skill and hold-up plays exactly what this Huddersfield team needs. He's got plenty of technical ability as well. Um, Decision-making can be a little bit poor at times, but for me, I think you look at it, the way he took his goal, you don't see many forwards confidently um, hit it into the, the goalkeeper's near post. So I think if, if Darren Moore's going to tap into anyone in that team, it's got to be Bergs or because I think he can be the difference maker going, um, well, in, in that final third going forwards, because it's not a convincing um, well front line-up, is it? You know, like Danny Ward... Um, Josh Caroma, um Kean Harrett, it's not built on on, on quality. And I think Bergzorl can bring that. So I think he, if he can yeah, refine some parts of his game and, and, and really excel in the, the areas he is good at, like his skill, his, his technical quality, then yeah, Huddersfield will, will, will tap into him and he'll get goals. And he's come from nowhere really as well. I think that's a key thing.
1: Yeah, he has come from nowhere. And I have been impressed with him. He, he does look like a, a big threat Dunty up front uh, for QPR. Um, Even though his name does sound like a character from Star Wars, I have been impressed with him. And I think um, (laughs) he's going to be a really um, important player for Huddersfield. Uh, Norwich bounced back from their battering against Plymouth by beating Birmingham 2-0. Rumpus School's three-word review for Norwich. We're on a title charge, Dilksy, Technically more than three words. Um, But much better than Norwich. Not sure if that's necessarily the Plymouth results Alton in the rear view mirror or not but we'll wait and see with that don't think it's any surprise though that the main man here was Gabriel Sara he was unbelievable once again and judging from this season I'm kind of getting the sense that his performances could dictate how Norwich do so far it seems to be if Gabriel Sara plays well Norwich play well if he doesn't then they don't and offer very little
0: well, that's the that's the key thing. He's he's a he's a gifted footballer, and he, he he's taken some flack in recent weeks because some of his defending has been pretty poor and right so. But his quality going forward is is very easy to see. He's been one of the most creative midfielders in the division. Um, so if Norwich are going to thrive going forward, it's probably because Gabriel Sari is at the centre of good things going forwards. So again, if he's out of the game, if you if an opposition can mark him out of a game, and I think. It, that's going to be a key tactic going forward. So you look at Birmingham's midfield, they could have done a lot better with, with Gabriel Sara um, in, in this fixture. But again, if you can mark him out of the game, and Norwich are going to, not going to have much of an impact. So yeah, he's a, he's a gifted footballer, a talented player. And as I say, if you, can, if you can take him out of the game, then Norwich are going to drop off because they don't have that Josh Sargent figure up front either. Um, but yeah, he's got plenty of quality and we see it week in, week out.
1: Yeah. He is, undeniably, he's an unbelievable player and I think probably should be playing in the Premier League based off what we've seen from him in the past, well, this calendar year, really. The only concern would be is who else is going to do something if he has an off day. And so far, we haven't seen much from Norwich, have they? I don't want to call them a one-man team, but so far, it looks like they're as close to a one-man team as you can possibly be. Because I don't think they necessarily exist but when you've got one player who has just so much more influence mm. pulling the strings and what have you as he does then that's a bit of a concern but i suppose it doesn't matter if norwich keep winning games does it stoke ended a run of one point from five games by winning three two away at bristol city three word review from charlie for bristol city Fucking bottled it. Fair enough. Uh, Medi Leris scored an absolute beauty here for Stoke. Also good to see, uh, was it Nathan Lowe, the young lad, mm-hmm. 18-year-old, scored the winner. That was a nice scene. And finally, Halton Plymouth drew one-all. Ryan's a Plymouth fan and his three-word review was well-earned point. And I'm not going to disagree with him on that. Now it's time for this. Oh, God. Yes, it's time for the news. Sheffield Wednesday owner, Depon Chancery, has released yet another lengthy statement and boy oh boy, was it a doozy. He says that he will not put any more money into the club because he's unhappy with the treatment he's been getting from some fans. A quick summary of what he said. I'm the one who saved the club and spent the money for the club. I'm the one who needs to pay around two million on average every month. Some fans need to have more respect for owners of clubs and not be so selfish thinking of their own benefit without doing anything good to the club. Those fans who create trouble to the club and myself believe that they are the real owner of the club. They need to be responsible for the financial matters of the club from now on. It's clearly just Carlton Palmer's fault, isn't it really, Justin? Um, <laughs> i got to tell you, when I got a notification from Sheffield Wednesday Twitter saying a statement from Depon Chancery, I thought, oh no, not again. And it's got to be the most jaw-dropping statement we've ever seen in Mm. the championship I can't think of anything that could possibly come close he has completely thrown his toys out the pram hasn't he yeah he's a giant man baby and man baby is hard to talk to man baby is hard to
0: deal deal with it's impossible Um, uh, I don't know what to say because everyone can make an easy conclusion to this that Transiri is just a massive tosser it's as simple as that. there there are owners who are just downright bad. You got um Dayong doing a really bad job at Reading. The club is on the brink, etc. But then you've got Chanceri, who's a terrible owner, but he's still paying the bills. But he's using that as a weapon against the fans, which is entirely unfair and irresponsible. And that's a key thing here. That that does that does make you think that um that, you know further regulations need to be put in place. So so you don't get a situation, I had to do a laugh, but it's a laugh in, in, in despair that you don't get a situation where um, owners are, are using the money they spend on the club um, as a form of blackmail against the supporters because that's what it's coming across as. If you don't stop making trouble, I'm going to stop um, putting money into the club. You can't, there are people's jobs at stake here at the football club, you know, these are community assets you you just cannot use it as a weapon it's ridiculous it's, it's implausible and like I said conclusively he's a man baby not a single self-respecting grown up adult human being does not put this sort of statement out simple as that he's an idiot I'm
1: not going to disagree with you just now I think the real victims here are Sheffield Wednesday's yeah. PR team who are trying their best <laughs> oh and their boss ruins all their hard work instantly I can't believe there's an owner of a football club who is just so narcissistic and petulant Mm. as Depon Chanceri. You're the owner of a football club. And while I don't condone abuse, you're going to get stick, especially when you make as many poor decisions as he does. It's so incredibly petulant. Him not putting any more money into the club is effectively the same as a child taking their ball and going home. (laughs) Yeah. It is exactly the same as that. He contradicts himself so much throughout the statement as well. If there was a drinking game for every time he contradicts himself in that statement, we would all be absolutely smashed. I also like the bit where he effectively said, well, if you love the club, if you guys love the club so much, you run it. We weren't all born with a very wealthy dad like you, Daypon. It's not like you went out there and made the money yourself. So there's just so many elements to this, Justin. We could honestly do a whole episode on... Mm. This statement alone ultimately he's totally avoiding all blame here when everything that's going wrong with Wednesday, whether it's results on the pitch or the financial state of the club, it's all because of Depon Chancery mm-hmm. and he's taking no blame for it whatsoever. I suppose the question now Justin is what next for Sheffield Wednesday I don't I don't know because he
0: doesn't come across like he wants to sell. He petulantly say he will he will sell, but only if a bid comes in. But you know he's he's riddled the club with debt because of how poorly he's run the club. Um, I think the only thing I could suggest to Wednesday fans is you know be outspoken with it, do it respectfully, but be outspoken and, and make your feelings known. Um, you know you, you you've only got to look at the Sunderland game and how empty the cop was you know, fans are turning themselves away because they don't want to deal with this. No one wants to be apathetic towards the football club, but Series turned it into this sour apple that no one wants to chew from. As simple as that, it's a terrible place to be. And honestly, I don't know, because like I said, he's a man-baby. You can't deal with man-babies. It's impossible. You can only expect him to get bored and sell. That's the only way this
1: concludes, I think. Yeah. If there's one positive... To take from all this, I would say the chances of Chancery owning Wednesday this time next year are low. He seems to be at his wits end. And if a buyer comes along with a reasonable offer, he's going to sell. Because it doesn't seem like he cares much anymore. Having said that, it's going to get worse at Wednesday before it gets better. Mm. I would say there's a strong possibility they'll go into administration this year. Chancery says he's putting £2 in the club each month to keep it going. Completely his fault that he's having to do that in the first place, I might add. And so if he's genuinely not putting in any more money, the debts are going to quickly pile up. So that's one thing. And you'd also say there's slim chances of staying up and out, even slimmer. There's a huge question to be asked about Isco Munoz. Very hard to argue that he doesn't deserve to lose his job at this point. But will the club pay compensation to him if the owner isn't putting in any more money in? I assume not. So it sounds like Isco may be staying for the foreseeable unless something gets worked out there. So I think this statement means Wednesday are currently in a tunnel, which is only going to get darker and gloomier. But there is a faint light at the end of it, because hopefully it means in a year's time, Sheffield Wednesday will be done with Dave on Chancery and they can move forward as a football club. It's, it's a small glimmer. And it's going to be a rough road ahead, but I can see some signs of positivity, I think. Um, Let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. um, And it relates to the bottom three conversation we had earlier on in the show, Justin. Uh, The bottom three currently is Sheffield Wednesday, Rotherham and QPR. Will that be the bottom three come the end of the season? Yes or no? Mm, it's hard to argue against it so I'm going to say yes I would say yes I can see Huddersfield you know maybe having a say in that but at the moment I'd probably put those three down personally 57% of people said yes 43% said no Um, not really any other suggestions from the <laughs> listeners on <laughs> that one who has been the player of the season so far Jack Clark Kenan Dewsbury Hall Gabrielle Sara Morgan Whittaker
0: Oh, Morgan Whitaker or KDH I'll go with Kinn and Hall
1: not Jack Clark
0: yeah but uh, I just feel like you're gonna you're gonna say him so I may as well give you the, the accolade for that
1: okay well i I definitely say Jack Clark <laughs> 43% of people said him 39% said Kin and Dewsbury Hall 10% said Morgan Whitaker. 8% said Gabrielle Sara I feel like the other two have been a bit harshly mm. done there particularly Sara and finally egg and crest sandwiches yes no honestly don't care
0: i actually don't care i'll have one if it's available um but they're they're flavorless they're bland and they're just there to fill a void really yeah a hunger
1: this is following on from our conversation in midweek about uh egg and cress sandwiches being the second most popular Mm. sandwich in britain which is absolutely mind-blowing because that is just so plain yeah isn't it honestly you may as well just have a cheese sandwich at least you're getting something out of that there's a bit of flavor in there um (laughs) Anyway, fifty-three percent of people said no to egg and cress sandwiches. Thirty percent said yes. Seventeen percent said, honestly, I don't care, and that's completely fine. Now it's time for this.
0: Hi, Simon Grayson.
1: Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, he would say Villa, that's one down. Then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson has given you three lives. And the Ooh. question is this. Name for me the eight most northern clubs in the EFL, not the Premier mm. League. The EFL. Now, Justin, I'll give you a clue on this because it is tricky. And I know geography isn't your strongest (laughs) subject. Why are you you pulling that face? You don't know what my strongest subject is. Well, you have this season said Southampton was in Dorset. That's fair point. And at the end of last season, you didn't know Watford was in Hertfordshire. I've also said
0: Devonshire and
1: Humbershire as well. So
0: that's a fair point.
1: I'm glad you've rode back on that opinion (laughs) straight away. Um, The the clue is this: only two of these eight clubs are in the championship. So keep interesting. Market, Justin. Can you name for me one of the most northern clubs in the EFL? Barrow. Barrow is correct. That's the fourth most northern in the EFL. That's one down. Carlisle. Yes, Carlisle is just marginally the most northern club in the EFL. Um, very nice place as well. Um, well, late District is <laughs> next one. Justin, uh, Sunderland. Sunderland is correct. The most northern side in the championship. That's three down. Justin, five to go.
0: Five to go. Um, I feel like I've tapped into uh, the, the the most northern clubs, but there's a second one, isn't there, that I'm missing? Another championship side, yes. Um, that's tricky. Now I'm, now I'm stumbling. I'm going to go with... Bradford's quite high up in Yorkshire. I'm going to go with
1: Bradford. Bradford is incorrect. It's just Ooh, fractionally gee. less north of the team, which is number eight. So you've oh, wow. lost one life. You have five to go, Justin. Hall's quite far up. But not far enough up, Are you Justin. Taking so that's pit? another life gone. Um, I can't believe you've not got the other championship side at the very least. You've got five remaining. You've got one life left already. Middlesbrough then? Yes, of course it's Middlesbrough. There's just this
0: long-going debate whether or not Middlesbrough is in the North East or Yorkshire. I don't know. It's in
1: Yorkshire. Mm. But it's also North East. Um, so you've got the <laughs> top four most Northern <coughs> clubs. Now Middlesbrough are the third most Northern. You've got four to go. You've got one life left. got four to go. Um... All in League One and League Two. I will point yeah, out. Yeah, that's, that's tricky.
0: Um, I thought Bradford was really high up, but it isn't. Uh, I'll throw in. Gen- I genuinely cannot think of any more clubs. Harrogate's between Leeds and Barnsley. I think. Um, this is actually really hard. It's really hard.
1: Just say anyone.
0: But I, I can't think of anyone like, quite north.
1: Blackpool. The mic here. Blackpool's correct. That's the eighth most <sighs> northern club. Oh, my God. Um, so there you go. You've got the benchmark now. You've got three remaining.
0: Now, I I can't remember if Fleetwood's below Blackpool or above it or vice versa with
1: Morecambe. I'm going to go with Morecambe. Morecambe is correct. Oh, That's the fifth wrong. most northern club. What a what a turn around this could be. Go on, Justin.
0: You say Blackpool's eighth, right? Correct. Oh, so I'm not going to Two remaining.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to throw Fleetwood in.
0: Where's Preston? Go,
1: Preston. I will save you. No, no, no. Yeah, championship. No championship clubs. <clears throat> ignore that. Ignore Everyone that. Ignore one. that. <laughs> um, oh, go on then, Fleetwood. Fleetwood is correct. That's the seventh most northern club. Oh, Justin, you've got one more remaining. And I tell you what, I don't want to give it away, but you have mentioned them. (laughs) Harrogate. Harrogate's correct. He's (laughs) done it, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I don't know why you thought it was between Leeds and Barnsley because that's not correct. It's not. It's north of Leeds. Um, So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I had absolutely no hope for you when you were... On a three correct. So that is insane. (laughs) Justin Peach, with his abysmal geography, has managed to get Simon Grayson's hate float. Justin, how do you feel?
0: Yeah, I'm absolutely jubilated about that. I I nearly avoided Fleetwood because I just didn't know where it was in, in relation to Morecambe and Blackpool. But now I know. It's literally just above it. Yeah, tiny. It's like four miles away, isn't it?
1: Yeah incredible scenes here on Simon Grayson's for Eight ladies and gentlemen there we go this has been the Second Tier Podcast and we'll be back again on Thursday because we've got midweek games baby so we're going to talk about all the games that happen in midweek in the championship so we look forward to chatting about them with you then this has been the Second Tier Podcast I've been Ryan Dill I've been Justin Peach and a huge thank you for listening Second Tier is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.